Well, in just a couple of weeks, on August the 3rd, Mandy and I, a little self-indulgence here, y'all forgive me, uh, <laughs> Mandy and I will celebrate 20 years of marriage, August the 3rd. Now, I appreciate that, thank you. That's not why I mentioned that, but thank you, I do. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I, it's been 20 years, but I still remember that day vividly. I remember waking up early because I was nervous, and uh, the wedding was at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I remember waking up early thinking, it is a long time until that wedding. I've got to do something to occupy myself or I'm going to go crazy. I washed my car. Uh, I went uh, to Walmart where I ran into her dad, who was probably as nervous or more nervous than I was, and we talked nervously for a few minutes and then went our separate ways. Uh, But everything about that day, you know, is memorable. It was a wonderful day, as it should have been, a day of celebration, a day of happiness, a day of joy, Uh, and that's the way marriages are supposed to be, right? They're supposed to be events filled with joy, uh, filled with memories. And of course, you you know, you even as you get older, the the things in your wedding that didn't work the way you thought they would, those are even those in, even tend to in, tend to be good memories. I mean, everything it's memorable and it should be. Well, all weddings should be that way, and mine definitely was that way. But there is a marriage coming that is going to be more joyful, more eventful more memorable than any marriage that has ever taken place. And that's what we're going to look at today. The marriage of the Lamb we're going to be looking at. And the book of Revelation, chapter 19. You can go ahead and turn there if you would like to. Uh, We're going to be there this morning as we continue this series that we're in. The Bible teaches that just as the Lord Jesus came over 2,000 years ago, He's going to come again. He's going to return, and after he comes, all believers are going to appear at the judgment seat or the bema of Christ. We talked about that last week, the judgment, the judgment of the righteous. Uh, there will be another judgment that comes later, which we will get to in just a couple of weeks, uh, two weeks from today. But uh, we, we talked about the judgment of the righteous. Our works will be judged based on what we did with what God gave us, were we good stewards or not? Not in terms of, not for the purpose of determining whether or not we get into heaven. We're saved. We know we're already going to heaven, but there will be eternal rewards given to the righteous, to the faithful righteous. So we will appear before Christ. He will evaluate the works that have been done by the body of Christ, his church. And then following that will be the marriage supper of the Lamb, where Jesus will present to himself the bride. His bride, which is the church. In Ephesians 5, verse 27, Paul says this. He says, he, Christ, did this. And if you look back at 26, it tells what he did. He gave his life on the cross, and he cleansed us of sin to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. And that is what he will do at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The church will be presented spotless and clean. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, "The rapture in the rapture, Jesus will catch us up. In the judgment seat, Jesus will clean us up. And at the marriage supper, Jesus will cheer us up. Uh, it's not going to be necessarily a pleasant experience having all of your 
works played on a, I, I picture maybe this screen times a thousand, okay? Super high definition, everything you've ever done played right before your eyes. That's not going to be a pleasant experience necessarily, but what will be pleasant will be when Jesus says, you have been forgiven, my blood has covered your sins, now let's go, go with me and let's have a feast. Let's have a celebration. And that's what we're looking at in Revelation chapter 19 this morning. So just follow along with me. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 10 of Revelation chapter 19. After this, I heard something like the loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God. That's important. We'll get back to that. Belong to our God. Because his judgments are true and righteous, because he has judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality and has avenged the blood of his servants that was on her hands. A second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke ascends forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who is seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! A voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all his servants and the ones who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. And then I, this being John, of course, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The marriage supper of the Lamb. According to the testimony of scriptures, we have something to look forward to. And that is part of the reason that we are in this theme. We don't want to be end times obsessed, but we want to be end times aware. And being end times means aware means that we are aware that it's coming. We know it's out there. And we, that motivates us to live our lives on fire for Jesus, faithful to the Lord, fulfilling the purpose he's given us, doing everything that we can to be found faithful by his power and his strength. And our, our theme of our series is be encouraged and live with expectations. Don't allow the coming, the, the fact that we could, we may or may not be in the end times, or the truth that the end times is coming, don't let that make you so afraid, so paranoid that you go away and hide until he comes. Don't make it to where you figure, hey, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Until he comes. Don't get so obsessed with all of the prophecies and the details that you miss out on doing what God calls you to do, the opportunities that he gives you to put in front of you every day to serve him. Be aware, study it, be educated, but use it as motivation to live with expectation. And his bride, we the church, we want to be prepared for Jesus' return, right? We know we're prepared. 
because in the sense that we're saved, but we want to be prepared for that judgment seat. We want to have a well done, good and faithful servant given to us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want to be prepared and we can do that because we know that God has given us the information we need to be prepared for Christ's return and to live faithfully as we wait. The truth about the marriage supper, the celebration we have waiting for us should encourage us and motivate us. So let's talk about some truths this morning about the marriage supper of the Lamb. The first is this. The praise there will be incredible. It'll be incredible. We have a a wonderful praise and worship service here. I'm so thankful for those who lead us. Ben, the praise team, choir, instrumentalists who lead us every week. It is wonderful. As good as it is, and as good as any praise and worship service you've been to is, it will pale in comparison to the praise and worship that's taking place and will take place in heaven on this day and throughout eternity. This celebration is going to be like nothing you've ever seen, nothing you and I have ever witnessed. Revelation 19 is the basis of Handel's Messiah. You're familiar with that, right? The word hallelujah or hallelujah is used four times just in the first six verses. We see the word hallelujah. And that word hallelujah is interesting. It comes, it's made up of two Hebrew words. It is made up of the word halal, which means praise, and Yahweh, which of course is the covenant name of God, Jehovah, God. So it literally means praise the Lord. That's what that word means. Praise the Lord. Simple, but so deep and so involved, all that's involved in praising God. In this chapter, we, have, we, we see the word amen or amen, however you choose to pronounce it, all right? Think when you're a preacher in front of people, you're supposed to say amen. I don't know. It sounds better. But that word amen, it means it is true or let it be. It will be done. I agree with it. It will happen. It is truth. That's why when we pray, we end with amen. Lord, here are my prayers. Here here are my requests. I'm praising you for who you are. I'm thanking you for what you've done. I'm giving my requests to you. I'm asking them to, to you to answer them in a way that's in accordance with your will, your purpose. I surrender to you. You decide. You are God. Let it be. Amen. Whatever you decide, that's what needs to happen. I'm in agreement with whatever you decide. I submit to whatever you decide. And there are five attributes Listed in these first two verses that form the basis of praise to God. The basis of praise on this day, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the feast, the celebration, but the basis of praise always. Salvation, glory, and honor, and power belong, glory or honor rather, and power belong to our God. So salvation, glory, power are the first three, belong to our God. Now notice it says belong. Because God is, in, is not in need of any of those things. Those, that's who he is. He is the one who provides those things. Salvation comes from him, can only come from him. Glory, all glory and honor is due him. And he is all powerful. All power belongs to him. The last two, we see the last two attributes are true and righteous. We live in a world that that defines truth as relative, that defines truth as whatever you decide to make it, whatever makes you comfortable. But God says, 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God himself is truth. If you want to be righteous, you can't be righteous on your own. The only way you can be righteous is to surrender your life to Christ, and you are made righteous, but it's, his, it's called imputed righteous, righteousness. It's his righteousness that he gives you. He makes us righteous. He alone is truly righteous. And because of those things, because he is salvation, comes from him because he is glorious, all honor and glory. He is all powerful. He is true. He is righteous. He is worthy of our praise. That is the basis of praise and worship. Now let's look at the characteristics of praise here within this first truth. Heaven's hallelujah course is what we'll call this. And, and it will praise God for who he is. All right, look at Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Now, a name in biblical times, we've talked about this, it represented more than just a name. It represented the person's character, who they are, their attributes, their nature. It represented who they were. And even now, although we don't give as much thought, um, for the most part, some do. We don't give as much thought in our culture to names as they did in biblical times. Even now, when you hear somebody's name, you, just don't, you don't just think about that, that person's name. You don't just picture them in your mind. You think about what you know about them, right? Their reputation, who they are. You've heard the phrase, oh, so-and-so sure has made a name for himself, right? You've heard that phrase before. Well, what type of name, think about this, what type of name has God made for himself? Let's look. Well, we, we know he's holy, his holiness. Psalm 30, verse 4, sing to the Lord, you faithful ones, and praise his holy name. He's shown that he is holy. His goodness. What about his goodness? Psalm 106, verse 1, hallelujah, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. His nearness. He is near. Psalm 75, verse 1. We give thanks to you, God. We give thanks to you for your name is near. He's not a distant God who doesn't care. He's not leaving us to fend for ourselves. He is near. He is close. People tell about your wondrous works. His mercy, his love, his comfort, his peace, his joy, his patience, his grace. All of those things. All of those things speak of his, his love, his concern, and his nearness. The relational side. Yes, he's holy. He is separate. He is above all. But he's also a father who loves, who is close, who is near, who is gracious, who is merciful. God is to be praised for who he is, but also because of his mighty works. Not only because of who he is, but also because of what he's done. Isaiah verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 1. Oh, Lord, you are my God. I will highly honor you. I will praise your name. You have done miraculous things. You have been completely reliable in carrying out your plans from long ago. God is faithful. He is true. He is dependable. And he will carry out his plan. No one will stop him from carrying out his plan. We should praise him also for what he's given us. And he's given us so many blessings. All of the blessings that God has given uh, his people through the centuries, through our lives. But most importantly, the greatest blessing of all is his son. Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 9.15 Thanks be to God for this in, His indescribable gift. Words cannot describe the blessing of Jesus Christ. The beauty, the magnitude, 
of that gift. His Holy Spirit, the gospel, the family of God, the basic necessities of life. I could go on and on and on and on listing the blessings that God has given his people as a whole and me personally in my life and in my family. God has blessed us. And we see stanzas within this hallelujah chorus that give us the basis of our praise to God. We praise Him because of His redemption. We see this vast multitude praising God in verse 1. Salvation, it belongs to God. And here, you know, there's salvation in the past tense. God has laid down, Jesus laid down His life. Right? He gave his life. Jesus was raised from the dead. There's salvation in the present tense. I accept Christ, or I accepted Christ in the past, but I am in Christ in the present. I'm being sanctified. I'm growing in Christ. But there's also a future tense of salvation when it will finally be completed and all of the saints will be with him in glory forever. This is talking about salvation in the future tense when it's completed, when the work is done in the sense that all believers have been gathered together together and are with Christ in heaven. We've passed through the judgment of the righteous, and now we are in this celebration of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this vast multitude here is saying hallelujah because what was started on the cross has come to completion. It is finally completed in Christ. Because of what he did, what he continues to do, and what he will do one day when he comes back to receive his church. Philippians 1.6, I, I, we see in, in this verse, I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who started a good work, which he did, he created, we sinned, he provided a way for salvation. Those of us who are in Christ, he began the work, he justified us, now he's sanctifying us, and he's continuing that work. He who began a good work, he who started a good work in you, will carry it on until the completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Revelation 19 is about the completion of that. He is completing that work. He is fully removed. Jesus has the penalty of sin. He's removed the power of sin. But in the future, he will completely remove the presence of sin. Now think about that. No more sin. No more evil. No more wars. No more trials. No more sickness. No more tribulation. All of that will finally be gone. For all of eternity. This is what we're talking about. This is what's being celebrated. This is what we have to look forward to. That's reason to praise the Lord. Next we see praise because of retribution of sinners. There are references to this in Revelation. If you look back in Revelation 17 and 18. And it pictures God's justice. In the first century Jews expected a Messiah who would deal with all the iniquities that they faced. All of what they were going through. And they expected it in their present. He would deal with injustice. Unrighteousness in the present. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Eternal Father. Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast. His dominion. And its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. They expected that when he came the first time. 
That's not why he came the first time, but, but rest assured that will happen in the future. This return, the return of Christ, will usher in a day when God's justice will triumph. Babylon is identified. We read about the, the great prostitute. And Babylon is identified as this great prostitute in chapter 17, verse 1, and verses 15 and 16. And what this is talking about is Satan and the Antichrist influence their system that seduced an unbelieving world to believe in, in the lies that they put forth. The world systems that led the world astray polluted mankind. Both the false religious systems, the satanic economic political systems that we see in the book of Revelation, all of that. But we see the multitudes are praising God because God finally makes things right. All of that's done away with. All of that's been taken care of. Justice, in Revelation 19, justice has finally been served. The reality is... And this isn't a knock on any, you know, uh, legal system or certainly not the police force. But if you really look for, if you really want judgment in this world, true righteous judgment, you're not going to find it in this world. No matter how good the system of government is. If you really want justice, true justice in this world, we see examples of it certainly. But you're never going to find true justice in any courtroom, in any place in the world. True justice. True justice, once and for all justice, will come, though, when Christ judges the world. And he hands down his final judgment. The multitudes are praising God because he's made things right. His justice has prevailed. And one of these days, everything, one of these days, we will shout hallelujah because finally everything will have been made right. Everything. And then we praise God because of the realization of his kingdom. The church and the cherubim worship him here. All are in complete agreement. Amen. Let it be. Verse 6, we see the vast multitude. You know, I think about a, a giant football stadium or a giant baseball stadium filled with people. Somebody hits a home run, the home team, everybody shouts at once. It's a deafening sound if you've ever heard it. I think about the, the sound of cascading waters. I've never been there, but I think about Niagara Falls. I've been to some pretty big waterfalls. And, and how that, if you are close to it, or you are in the midst of it, you can't hear anything else, right? Or if you're, if you're just within, within hearing distance of it, it is so loud, it is so overwhelming, the sound of those rushing waters. That's the idea that's being presented here. Like rumbling, the rumbling of loud thunder. You add lightning to that thunder rolling up and down the heavens as we read about the noise of the multitude of angels, the multitude of the saints, like cascading waters, the voice of the vast multitude, and we get maybe just a small glimpse in our minds of of how incredible this is going to be. Truly. If you don't like loud worship services, you won't like this. It is going to be Incredible. All voices, all hearts, all minds pointed and directed toward the King of kings and Lord of lords. Giving him all praise, all honor, and all glory. And by the way, the first time any of us will truly experience perfect praise and worship. Because we will finally be perfect. 
Nothing in our hearts to distract us. Nothing, nothing in our lives to taint our worship. The praise transcends all human categories and distinctions. And all of the redeemed are called to praise God. And the motive is in verse 6. Hallelujah, because the Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. He alone is worthy of worship. The evil world system will, be of, will have been demolished, destroyed. God's kingdom will have come in its fullness. And our God, who reigns now, will reign for all of eternity. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all of the shouts of his praise will ring through heaven like nothing any of us have ever heard. And it's going to be incredible. Something to look forward to. The second truth about the marriage supper is that the bride will be beautiful. The bride will be beautiful. The bride has prepared herself for the wedding. We see the presentation of the bride. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is in the presence of God the Father will present the bride to himself. Ephesians 5, 27 again. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. And then there's the commencement of the marriage. It begins at salvation. It's referred to as an espousal is the actual word that's used. It's like an engagement, but more. Okay, we have engagements, but this is so much more involved in that. The only way you could get out of, you know, people can break engagements, right? But the only way you could get out of this type of, of a spouse or this type of engagement uh, would be through basically a divorce, okay? It was, it was more than just an engagement. It was a betrothal. And right now, you and I are betrothed to Jesus, okay? All right, we are His, but there's more to come. The best is yet to come. If you were in a betrothal relationship, the best was yet to come. All right? The Apostle Paul said this in, in 2 Corinthians eleven two: 2, For I am jealous for you and with a godly jealousy, because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. You know, when I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior, I became engaged to Him. I'm betrothed to Him. It's a, like a legal agreement, which it was in this day and time. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but Paul says, I'm talking about Christ in the church. He's, he's making this analogy, and we, we're seeing it play out in Revelation chapter 19, the culmination of all of it. In the first century, and for centuries after that, there were three, usually three steps from the time of betrothal or espousal to the actual marriage itself, the marriage union. So the parents of the bride, bride and bridegroom negotiated a marriage contract, usually when the couple was very, very young. Now, I joke, but it's half true. My mom and Mandy's mom did this for us. <laughs> they met, my mom met Mandy before I did. Her mom met me. And they decided we ought to be together. Um, they didn't actually negotiate with each other, but they, they did their negotiating through us, I guess. There was encouragement there. But I'm glad they did. Listen to your mom, all right? Your mom knows something. But when this happened, when this took place, the couple was legally married, okay? I mean, for all intents and purposes, they were married. 
Uh, and there was a legal agreement there. But the marriage would not be consummated for years. And this, it was, it was again, like an engagement, but so much more. Much more binding than today's engagement. And when the time came for the marriage, the bridegroom, accompanied by friends, some of his friends, family, whatever, he, they would, he would go to the bride's home and his arrival would be announced by bells. Sometimes they would ring bells. It would, they would announce his arrival because he was coming to take his bride back home with him. And then the bridal procession would follow... Uh, would go, and it would be followed by a great feast. Depending on how wealthy the family was, the bridegroom's family was, that was how big and how grand the feast was, and also how long it would go. (laughs) Sometimes it would go on for many days, depending on the family. Now take that and apply it spiritually. What's the spiritual application? Why did Paul use this as an analogy? And why do we see it here in Revelation chapter 19? When I was saved, I became a spouse to Christ. I am promised to him. I am his. We are in that betrothal period. As a pledge, he gave me, usually the the bridegroom would give a gift to his bride as a pledge. Okay, And Christ gave me the Holy Spirit as a pledge. His spirit as a promise, as assurance. The guarantee of our redemption and our inheritance in Christ. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation, the Holy Spirit, is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. And then in the rapture of the church, which is to come, the bridegroom will return to take his bride back home. It won't be announced with bells, but with the shout of the archangel and the trumpet sound. It will be announced. And all the sinful tendencies of our old flesh will be left behind. And I thank God for that. How about you? And all of this is going to be followed by what we're looking at in Revelation chapter 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse 7, Let us be glad, rejoice, and give Him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has prepared herself. Not by her works, not by her works, but by the grace of God have we been prepared. We will be judged based on our works in terms of our faithfulness, but no longer will we have an imputed righteousness. We will finally be given a holy perfection in this day. First John 3, 2, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we, and what we will be has not been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. You know, the Lord has been in a time of prep- preparation, presentation, and now a celebration in Revelation 19. And we will celebrate that marriage. You know, a lot of believers, theologians, believe there are two ways the bride is made ready. Revelation 19.8 says, She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. You know, in grace, God made us ready. We are justified in Christ. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance. It's all because of Him. We are justified. We are made right with God the moment we're saved. Then 1 John 2.28, So now little children remain in Him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. This is, there's justification and then there's sanctification. As we remain in him, 
He makes us more like himself. Now, I've used this before, but these things are fun to play with. Have y'all ever played, y'all ever played with an energy stick? Y'all know what these are? I mean, it's very simple. You hold it at one end, and then when you touch the other end, you complete the circuit. Now, if, Ben, come here a minute. You're closer. All right, Ben. Now, you touch the other side. Nothing. All right, now shake my hand. So you can have fun with these things. You can get like a big circle with people. But what has to happen? The reason it didn't work when he touched it and I touched it is because we had to touch each other to close the circuit, right? I mean, it's simple. But it represents a great truth spiritually, right? It's a great analogy. If I'm not connected to Christ first and if I don't remain in him and the Holy Spirit does his work, I will never have the power that I need to become what he wants me to be. Sanctification depends on our remaining in him and staying in him. We're still saved, but we are sanctified each day as we remain in him, depend on him, serve him by his power and his strength, and he makes us what he wants us to be. This all makes the bride beautiful as we become what Christ wants us to be. Truth number three, the guests are going to be joyful. Remember, the bride is the church from the Pentecost to the rapture, but that's not everybody that's going to be there, right? There's going to be more. But you got the Jews in Revelation, the promise God still has a plan for the nation of Israel, and there are going to be those who are saved and those who will be there, converted during the tribulation, I believe, is the proper interpretation of that. The resurrected Old Testament saints, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, all those guys, they're going to be there. So you've got the church, you've got the nation of Israel who is preserved, those who believe, and you've got Old Testament saints, and then you've got a, a, a heavenly host of angels who are going to be there. But there's a sense in which, and this, you know, it's fun to say this because we're the church, but it's true. There's a sense where the church is especially privileged here. But we are the bride of Christ. And what a celebration this is going to be. At the wedding feast of Cana, Jesus performed his first miracle. He turned water into wine, right? And the master of ceremony said in John 2.10, everyone sets out the fine wine first, and then after people get drunk, they bring out the cheap stuff. That's a little bit of a loose interpretation, but that's what he said. <laughs> but he said, you've kept, you've kept the fine wine until now. Jesus gave the best. And if you think that's something, wait until the marriage supper of the Lamb when Christ is both the bridegroom and the host. What a table he's going to set. What a celebration. The evangelist Paul Rader said this. He said, we are living so close to the second coming of Christ that I can hear the tinkling of the silverware as the angels are setting the table for the marriage supper of the Lamb. This could all just be a heartbeat or a trumpet sound away. The fourth truth about the marriage supper of the Lamb is that the groom is going to be glorified. You know, usually the bride is the center of attention, and rightfully so, at a a wedding. But here the bridegroom is going to be the focal point. Jesus Christ will be the focal point. Look at verse 10 of 19, Revelation. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus Worship God because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, John's not talking about Jesus here. He falls at the feet of an angel. And listen, if you and I are there, we probably would have too, overwhelmed by what we had seen. 
But the angel, the, the messenger says, hey, don't do that. <laughs> if you do that, I'm going to get in trouble for letting you do it, and you're going to get in trouble for doing it. Because he understood only God, only Christ is worthy of worship and adoration. The Bible tells us plainly that there's one God, and no one else is to be worshipped other than Jehovah God. So the angel says, get up, worship God. Important point here. Look at the end of verse 10. The testimony about Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Don't get so caught up. Listen, read prophecy, study prophecy, but don't get so caught up on the big toe of the left foot of some beast that you're trying to figure out what it means, okay? Don't miss the spirit of prophecy, the spirit. If you read Revelation and you don't come away Loving Jesus more, appreciating Jesus more, and on fire for Jesus more than you've missed the spirit of prophecy. If you don't come away feeling more equipped and more encouraged to live faithfully for Christ, then you've missed the spirit of prophecy. How do we learn about Jesus? The Holy Spirit teaches us. As we read all of his word, as we read prophecy, You know, in Genesis 24, we read about the story of Abraham's plan to get a bride for his son Isaac. Abraham sends his chief servant to get the bride for. Abraham was incredibly rich, so he gave his servant jewels, gifts, trinkets to give to Rebekah when they they found Rebekah. But the servant says, how am I going to know who it is? And he says, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would reveal that. And that's what we see is the Spirit of God reveals to him who it is. And that happens. The servant had to persuade Rebecca to leave her family and her home. Think about it, to marry a man she'd never met. The Spirit was in it. God was in it. And she went. Why? Because her brother and her father said in Genesis 24, this is from the Lord. We have no choice in the matter. And so she leaves. Now think about the scene, okay? As she's leaving, maybe, and this is, you know, a little bit of spiritual imagination here, but she's riding along. And she never met Isaac. She doesn't know what she's in for here. She begins to get sad. So Abraham's servant takes out a box and takes out a necklace, a couple of trinkets, and says, hey, this, this is from Isaac. He wants you to have it. You're going to love him. He's great. He's wonderful. So that satisfies her for a little bit. And go on a little further, several more miles She begins to cry again. Tears are welling up. She's sad. She's missing home. She doesn't know where she's going. The servant takes out another gift and says, hey, a few more trinkets, some nice, beautiful jewelry. This is from Isaac. You're going to love him. You're going to love him. He he wants you to have this. This This is for you. Now think about that and think about our journey through this life. Christ sent his messenger, his counselor, the Holy Spirit. There are times in life where we are doubting, right? Fear, anxiety fills us up. Times along the way where we begin to wonder, okay, is this really what what it's supposed to be? Is this really happening? And the Holy Spirit gives us a little trinket, a little gift, his presence, a voice, a message, his comfort, his assurance. Whatever form that little trinket takes and says, hey, this is from Jesus. He loves you. He wants you to have this. He's coming again. And guess what? You're going to love him. It's going to be special. The Holy Spirit is who gives us the assurance. The Holy Spirit 
is who gives us confidence. Now, some of you have been eyeing my Taco Bell bag over here. Anybody hungry? No? Well, I've got a Taco Bell bag, and some of you, how many, how many people like Taco Bell? All right. All right. I wonder how many people are going to end up going to Taco Bell after church today. We'll see. So if I were to offer you what's in this bag, would you take it? Y'all know me well enough to be like, I don't know, right? I don't know. But typically, what's in a Taco Bell bag? Tacos, food. And depending on whether you like it, good food, right? Something you want, something you want to eat. So from all appearances, based on what you see so far, this would be something you would want. But the truth of the matter is, what's on the outside really doesn't matter, right? So let's see what's on the inside here. Are you ready? All right. I've got one of Eli's old shoes. <laughs> Anybody want to dig in on this? All right. Don't get too close. I've got a dirty sock. All right. It's not really dirty. It looks dirty. You can have that. I've got an old dish rag here. So you can, you can have this if you want. And some, Annie put this in, some, I'm young until I'm getting old, right? Uh, some glow-in-the-dark glue that's been used quite a bit. So you can have that too. You can maybe put the glue on the shoe as like a seasoning. I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't matter what's on the outside. What matters is on the inside. And the, on the outside, we're going to go through a lot of junk in this life. Pain, suffering, trial, tribulation. Sometimes it's going to seem like Jesus will never come. Sometimes it's going to seem like he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. Lord, why are you waiting? Why is this taking so long? Why am I having to go through this? I want it to to be finished. I want you to come. But what's happening on the outside doesn't matter. It's what's on the inside. Stay, remain in Christ through his Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to give you those little trinkets along the way those reminders to empower you, to equip you, to strengthen you for whatever it is that lies ahead. And if you and I remain in him, we will be encouraged, we will be equipped, and we can look forward with anticipation, with eagerness, with excitement to this day because this day is coming. And it is going to be a celebration like none of us have ever experienced. And we will celebrate the removal of sin for all of eternity, the lack of pain, the lack of suffering, our own perfection, but most of all, the glory and the majesty and the honor of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and not here on earth, but in his presence face to face. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the promise of your word, the promise that we have in you. And the only way that we can anxiously anticipate your return is if we are in you. And I pray that if there's anyone in this place or watching online who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that they would realize that that invitation is available to them. All they have to do is turn to you in faith and believe that you died for their sins and that you were raised to life from the grave to put their faith and trust in you to recognize their need for salvation. Holy Spirit, as you bring them under conviction, all they have to do is turn to you in belief and repentance, turning from their sin, turning to you, and they can be saved. And maybe there's somebody here today who needs to do that, and I pray that they would come during this time of decision and let me share with them what they need to do.
how they can do that. For those of us who are yours, let us be Let us remain in you, be faithful, do our part to stay faithful, remain faithful, obedient, and be empowered by you daily. Your spirit living in and through us as you give us assurance daily of the promise of your return, of the assurance of your return. And oh, what a day we look forward to as we celebrate with the church, your bride, with your people, with Old Testament saints, with a host of angels, as we sing hallelujah, praise the King of kings and Lord of lords in your presence for all of eternity. Thank you for that assurance. Thank you for that promise. We thank you for who you are, what you've done, and what you're going to do. And we praise you because you are God, holy, righteous, true. You are salvation. You alone or Yahweh, Jehovah, God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for our time of decision?